This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When the ice breaks, when the hot shake in the town and the moxie in the winter, the end of my love for now and you spent your summer. Hello everyone and once again welcome to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. We're back this week with news from the hockey and sporting worlds in the time period from January 12th to 18th, 1970. Now, as we do every week, we like to mention our sponsors, the folks who help us put this podcast together. Newspapers.com is the world's largest online newspaper archive, and they have uh, provided us with the resources to do most of our research. We're also helped out by the Breakwell Brewing Company located in downtown Port Coburn, Ontario, and they make some amazing craft beers. A lot of the beers they make are from recipes that were found at the Port Coburn Library from the original brewery, which was in Port Coburn in the late 1800s. They also serve amazing food with uh, great burger and pizza specials each week. They'll always have something that someone will like. If you're in the Niagara region, you have to visit the Breakwall Brewing Company. In last week's show, some of the news we discussed was reaction from around the hockey world to Canada's withdrawal from international ice hockey competition. A lot of news about that. Uh, depends on what side of the fence you're on. Most of the communist countries were uh, panning Canada for leaving international competition. Here at home, we were glad to back our country's decision. This time around, we're going to have a look at what appears to be the total collapse of the Toronto Maple Leafs franchise. Just one game that they really lost badly, but it seemed to contain in that game a microcosm of what's happened with this Toronto franchise. We'll also look at the situation in Buffalo, where the new NHL franchise finally hired their top management man. We're going to examine the Kurt Flood challenge to baseball's reserve clause a little more closely. Uh, we'll see how hockey's uh, players view the situation, and we'll see a bit of a curveball thrown by a very prominent baseball player. Of course, we're also going to have the news and notes from all around the hockey world and our hockey personality of the week. So let's get started here. Now, the 1969-70 hockey season for me as a Toronto Maple Leaf fan was really low point. We were looking forward to the new team being close to us in Buffalo, but as a diehard Leaf fan, the new decade was starting out on not a very good footing. Now, I'm still in my teams at this point, and it was really difficult for me to see a team I'd followed since the 1950s spiraling downward, 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 playing worse and worse. And it seemed to me that there was going to be no limit to the depths to which they might sink. Uh, in this particular week back then, it seemed to signal, at least to me, that a team was bottoming out and I just couldn't fathom how my team 
could get any worse. Now, I had high hopes with uh, hometown Dunville native Jim Gregory leading, which would have to be a total rebuild by the Maple Leafs, but we knew it was going to be a painful process at the very least. This week, they lost a game to the New York Rangers by a 7-1 to score, and that loss seemed indicative of just how bad it was going to get. I remembered why all the injuries were hurting the team worse than in similar uh, injury situations in the past. I didn't realize it in the 60s. The Leafs would just make a call to Rochester for a Gary or Al Smith or even Jerry Cheevers in the early 60s to uh, fill in for an injured Johnny Bauer. Or they could call up Al Arbor to bolster their blue line core from Rochester. Those types of players just weren't available thanks to Stafford Smythe selling off the farm system just to save a few bucks. Now the lack of vision on Smythe's part through the late 60s should have been most alarming to most of us but we really didn't see it happening. With the league expanding at such a rapid rate, player depth should have been at the top of the the two list for the Maple Leafs, not saving money they didn't need. Maple Leaf Gardens Limited was a license to print money practically. A quick look down the 401 to Montreal might have given Stafford Smythe a clue as to how he should proceed in this era of expansion, but in his infinite arrogance, he thought he had the recipe to the secret sauce which would make the Maple Leaf Club successful again. In reality, Stafford possessed none of the intelligence, the vision, or the character of his famous father, Con Smythe, and that would be increasingly evident in the coming years and after his passing when he was succeeded by Harold Ballard. And Harold Ballard's a guy that I, I kind of blame for the next 35 years of incompetence for the Maple Leafs. 50 years later, we're still waiting for somebody to crack that recipe of that secret sauce in Toronto. Now, I think today's team is a lot closer than the Maple Leafs of 50 years ago, for sure. Although to this day, I firmly believe that if Jim Gregory had been allowed to build the team according to the plan he had by Harold Ballard, the Leafs would have made it to the Stanley Cup final and probably won it all. The problem was the short-sighted, incompetent, and for the most part, greedy management style, the almost maniacal methods of operation by Harold Ballard that set the program back and actually destroyed it altogether. That simply eliminated any chance of the Toronto team returning to its earlier glory days. Can it happen now as we enter the Roaring Twenties? Can the Maple Leafs finally return to prominence? Well, one might argue that the team is already prominent, and as they've taken off with new coach Sheldon Keefe, it's a better hockey club than it was just a couple months ago. Chances are better now than they have been in many years. But we're going to have to wait and see, because after all, these are your Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, as for the game that we're talking about, I remember watching this game back then, and it was most upsetting. Uh, What bothered me was the team didn't seem to be able or want to compete, and the want to compete is what bothers you. As a young hockey player, wasn't professional, but I still played the game, loved it as much as every professional ever could. 
you can't stand up when you see somebody out there who isn't giving 100%. And this team didn't appear to be doing that. Now, Coach John McClellan was even exasperated at the performance of his club. Johnny McClellan said this to Jim Proudfoot after the game. You'll never get great from me after a loss as long as we put up a decent effort. But I don't think this was even a decent effort, I mean. Uh, McClellan said the team had been going pretty well up to this, but maybe it was all smoke and mirrors. Maybe it was just a false positive. You don't know. When asked what was wrong with the team, McClellan simply replied, you tell me what's wrong and I'll fix it. We just can't seem to get it put together. Poor Bruce Gamble was the Toronto goaltender, and he's been very good for the team this year. One of the guys who at least appears for every minute of every game to be giving it everything he has. But he was lifted in the third period after giving up the fifth New York goal, and Toronto fans actually gave him a decent ovation when he left the night. McClellan said that he lifted Gamble, not as a reflection of how Bruce was playing, but it was basically a mercy move to get him out of there with his self-respect still intact. Gamble was replaced by a Toronto insurance man, Jerry McNamara. That's right, Jerry McNamara's profession is in insurance sales. He doesn't play professionally. He plays in the Amateur Ontario Hockey Association Senior A League for the Aurelia Terriers. He did play for the Maple Leafs back in the 1960-61 season for, I think, five games when he was filling in for an injured Johnny Bauer. At that time, uh, he was playing, I believe, in the Eastern League when the Leafs ran into similar injury uh, problems that they have now. Uh, McNamara was in goal because uh, Marv Edwards is out with a bad knee injury and Johnny Bauer who played just one game this year was going to be the backup but he hurt his knee as well McNamara gave up two goals in rather quick succession but every time in fact the first goal went in on the first shot that he faced and the fans in Maple Leaf Gardens jeered him every time he made a routine save but perhaps the biggest commentary on the night was what happened with one minute left in the game, when 16,445 Maple Leaf Garden spectators cheered this announcement. Last minute of play in this period. Now, the biggest news of the week, at least in the National Hockey League, was the new Buffalo franchise uh, announcing that they had hired Punch Imlach, former general manager coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, to assume a similar position with the fledgling franchise. Imlach, uh, who was being paid by the Maple Leafs up until the end of 1969, said he waited until the last check from Toronto had come in before he made a move to talk to the Buffalo team. He said that he had only signed or the Buffalo contract within the last couple of days, and in fact discussions, hadn't even taken place until January 3rd. Now, Imlach said that the contract he had was for multiple years, but it was not a long-term deal. He said, if they want me, they'll sign me to another contract when this one expires, but Punch didn't say when this uh, particular deal would expire. He said, it's a simple contract, much like the one I had in Toronto. And in fact, he hadn't even received any advice from his lawyer, whom he didn't consult 
on making this deal. Punch said the one thing that was important to him, though, was that he won't receive any outside interference from the Knox brothers or any other of the Buffalo directors for this team. He will have full say over the operation of the hockey club, and they will have full say over how the money is spent. Now, Punch says, beware, Stafford Smythe. He says, I'm going to be right across Lake Ontario, and I'm close enough that if my team starts making noise, you're going to be able to hear it. When asked about his first game in Toronto with the new team, Punch said, I'll be there front and center behind the bench. He says, I think I'm going to even have to get myself a new white hat for that game. Now, the fact that Buffalo's only a two-hour drive from Punch's home in Scarborough was a big factor in him agreeing to the the Buffalo deal. He says, I'm close to Toronto, my home is there, and I can get home and visit just about any time. Punch says the Buffalo job is probably the most challenging position in hockey at this point in time. He says, taking the Vancouver deal... Uh, to run that team would have been actually easier because the Vancouver Canucks already have 51 players under contract. The Buffalo franchise has just three American Hockey League players, and it's quite likely that none of them could make the Buffalo NHL team when the 1970-71 season rolls around for a beginning. Charlie Bailey is a veteran Buffalo hockey writer, and he was asked what Imlac's hiring will be like. What kind of a guy is he? Are the stories of him being such a taskmaster, a tough son of a gun in Toronto, or are they true? Bailey says that Imlac will not be a soft touch when it comes to managing players, and he revealed a story he had heard once from former Buffalo Bison and current Rochester American AHL coach Dick Gamble, who was playing with uh, Imlac way back in the Quebec Aces of the Quebec Senior League days. Imlac was a coach there. Gamble was a player. The Aces were on a bus trip to Chicoutimi, and during the trip, the uh, bus had trouble navigating up a steep incline, uh, a hill during the winter. So Wimlack told everybody on the bus they had to get off in order to lighten the load so that the bus could make it up the hill. Gamble, for whatever reason, refused to disembark for the bus. Imlac ordered Gamble off the bus. Gamble refused. Punch fined Dick Gamble $50, which back in the early 1950s was a great deal of money. Imlac said this, I remember that when we were on that way to Chikutami, I remember that Gamble never got his $50 back. Bailey asked Punch how long it'll take for the new Buffalo team to be a contender. And Punch says, we'll be a contender in our very first game. Meaning, of course, the team will work. And if you play for Imlac, you will work. How strong a contender we are, he says, remains to be seen. You got to remember, keep in mind, the draft from the major league clubs will get only the 16th, 18th, and 20th fellas off the benches of the present NHL teams. Long, hard journey for the new Buffalo NHL team ahead of them. Now, 
Now, the next story I want to talk about is the uh, Kurt Flood's lawsuit against Major League Baseball over the reserve clause. Kurt, if you remember, was traded by the St. Louis Cardinals to the Philadelphia Phillies last fall in a multiplayer deal in which he and star Richie Allen were the centerpieces. Kurt did not want to report to Philadelphia and objected to the idea that he could just be moved to a different city without either his consultation or his permission. So he has decided to challenge the clause in baseball contracts that bind players to teams for life and to uh, probably try and get baseball players and other professional athletes some sort of ability to determine where they will play, where they'll live. Now, Plud did this by way of a lawsuit challenging baseball's uh, exemption from United States antitrust laws, which means they can avoid rules that prevent businesses from making uh, monopolies of their businesses. Uh, he challenged the the laws under four main uh, reasons. Number one, baseball's income from radio and TV exceeds $35 million a year. That's more than what businesses that aren't monopolies should be allowed to have under the antitrust laws. He says that staging baseball games involves travel and communication across state lines that cost more than a million dollars a year and equipment is purchased in interstate commerce to the extent of more than a million dollars a year, which should make baseball subject to those antitrust laws. He talks about interlocking rules and agreements among major league teams and more than 125 minor league teams that form a monopoly so that anyone who wants to play professional baseball must play on baseball's terms or not play at all. And this, of course, is a restraint of trade. And he says that the reserve system through the option clause also constitutes a uh, contract of perpetual service and an unreasonable restraint of trade as well. Now, the reason I talk about this is because if this changes in baseball, this will change in basketball, hockey, football as well. And hockey especially has a very, very restrictive contract system. And the players at these, this point in time are very much uh, against the way the system works. And in fact, within a day, the National Hockey League Players Association came out in support of Kurt Flood's lawsuit. NHLPA President Alan Eagleson said that uh, the league owners and the president have been notified that the players union is definitely supporting Kurt Flood's action. Now, Eagleson did go on to say that they would not seek a complete abolishment of the reserve clause, but simply that they would request modifications to the present system that would allow the players to determine where they would play and when they would move. Trades would probably not be affected, but there could be a, a clause in the basic agreement between the league and the players whereby trades and drafts and other methods of moving players around might have to be approved by players with a certain amount of seniority. Uh, this bodes well for an interesting future, and we're sure that the NHLPA will be watching this case very, very closely. 
there was a bit of a curveball thrown at the Major League Baseball Player Association's support of Kurt Flood's lawsuit, however. Carl Yastrzemski is a superstar with the Boston Red Sox, and he issued a challenge to uh, Players Association President Marvin Miller, who is uh, spearheading Kurt Flood's lawsuit. Yastrzemski said that he is personally against any attempt at this time to knock out the reserve clause. He says, I've talked to many of the players, both active and retired, and they don't like it either. One of the things that Yastrzemski is dead set against is spending the money on lawyers to challenge the so-called monopoly that Major League Baseball has over the players. Yastrzemski said, that if the Players Association refuses to take up an entire vote of its membership, he will quit the organization. Yastrzemski said, I think a lot of us, the players that is, forget too easily what the owners have done for us over the years. And this actually has been many things that they didn't have to do that they do for us. Uh, He's looking at it from a very strange viewpoint as far as I can see because he's been bound to the Boston Red Sox for life and maybe a bit brainwashed by that organization. But then again, you have to remember the Boston organization was the very last one in Major League Baseball to become integrated. They did not have a player of color on the team until 1957 when a fellow named Pumpsy Green was finally brought to the Red Sox. That was 10 years after Jackie Robinson broke the color line. Do you think there could be anything to do with a Red Sox player being upset with Kurt Flood, who was a black American, and his lawsuit? It just seems a bit convenient to me, that's all. Now we move to the uh, news and notes of the weekend. Wow. As I seem to say every week, there's a lot going on over the course of a week in the 1969-70 National Hockey League season. And let's start off with a, a news item out of Sweden. Now, Swedish hockey player Lennart Svedberg, who many feel is good enough to play in the NHL, but's never had the chance, he's trained for the last few years with the Russian national team in an effort to make himself a better player. Well, Lennart says that the USSR's players are professionals in every sense of the world. He says that Russians even though they're officially uh, listed as officers in the Central Red Army, do nothing all year but play hockey. That's for 11 months of the year they work as hockey players. The other month of the year they spent vacationing, uh, usually at a resort in the southern part of Russia. Now, you remember we talked about a gambling scandal that is uh, involving a nationwide betting ring in the United States, and baseball great Dizzy Dean's name and others have been mentioned. Uh, Now it seems that NHL players are being investigated as well, although it's more of a cooperation request by the FBI. There have been no hockey people's names mentioned in the case, but because it's one of the four major sports, uh, the investigators want to look into the fact that 
hockey is a sporting event that possibly could be affected by gamblers. Here's a nice little note out of uh, Montreal. The French-language newspaper La Presse has named Pittsburgh Penguins rookie forward Michel Briere as its top amateur athlete of 1969 in the province of Quebec. Briere had a fantastic uh, season in his final year of junior in the Quebec Junior Hockey League before being selected by the Penguins in the second round of the National Hockey League Amateur Draft last spring. And during this NHL season, he's been one of the best rookies in the NHL. Staying with our junior hockey theme for just a minute, at Hamilton, Ontario this week, in the 17th edition of an annual exhibition game between the Detroit and Hamilton Red Wings, that's the Detroit Red Wings of the NHL and the Hamilton Red Wings OHA Junior A team, the NHL team beat the juniors 5-3 at the Hamilton Forum before a packed uh, crowd. Mike Weiser and Jim Dupuy shared the Hamilton goaltending duties and Roger Crozier went all the way for the Detroiters. Can you imagine an NHL team playing an exhibition game against a junior team right in the middle of an NHL season? Well, this is something that was going on for many years. As we said, this was the 17th year that the two teams had engaged in this type of exhibition. Now, Hamilton was a farm club of the Red Wings through the 1950s and the 1960s until the junior hockey season, uh, uh, leagues in Canada were reorganized so that the draft would take place and NHL sponsorship would end. But it was a nice uh, tradition that they went with again for at least one more year in Hamilton, and everyone certainly seemed to enjoy themselves. Now, with uh, Punch Imlac being named to the top hockey post in Buffalo, attention turned to Canada's West Coast and the Vancouver Canucks management situation. Lyman Walters, he's the vice president of Metacorp. That's the American corporation out of Minneapolis that purchased the Western Hockey League, Vancouver Canucks, and of course, that will... Um, transition to the NHL next season, he says that the team has talked to dozens, dozens of candidates, but only a few of these guys are seriously in the running for the job. Now, it's becoming increasingly clear that the early front runner was Joe Crozier, and he's the Western Hockey League team's present general manager coach. Uh, it seems he's less likely to get the job now. We would think that if they were going to give Joe the job, it would have been done already. Uh, we also learned, of course, that the team's NHL moniker will be the Canucks, and that's based on the local passion for the name. Lyman Walters had said he doesn't like that name, Canucks, but guess what? Local newspapers and fans' letters to the editors called to the team's switchboard vilified Walters for that decision, and so he has backed off and says the team will be called the Canucks. There's no silly name the team contest. It's a done deal. It will be the Vancouver Canucks. Meanwhile, some of the people that have been uh, spoken to by the Canucks include 
Bill Gadsby, former coach of the Red Wings, they want him strictly as a coach. And Bud Poyle, who just recently was fired as general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. Poyle is a good hockey man, and we could see him doing the job there. Another name that has surfaced is Hal Laco, who was recently fired as coach of the Los Angeles Kings. Now, next week is the National Hockey League All-Star Game. It's going to be held in St. Louis. And, of course, they're going to have to have a couple of rosters. Last week, we mentioned who the uh, first team players voted in were. And this week, coaches Claude Ruel, who is running the Eastern Division, and Scotty Bowman, who runs the West, filled out the rosters with the following players. In the Eastern Division, Ruel named defenseman Carl Brewer of the Detroit Red Wing, center Jean Rattel of the New York Rangers, and Dave Keon of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Leafs right winger Ron Ellis, along with right winger Rod Gilbert of the Rangers. Left wingers Bobby Hull of the Chicago Blackhawks and Frank Mahovlich of Detroit. Now, Scotty Bowman had the following players added to the Western Division roster. They are goalie Glenn Hall of the St. Louis Blues, defenseman Bill White of the L.A. Kings, and veteran Harry Howell of the Oakland Seals. Uh, center is Danny O'Shea of the Minnesota North Stars, left winger Jean-Paul Parise of the Minnesota North Stars, and Dean Prentice of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and a couple of right wingers, Jim Roberts of St. Louis and Claude LaRose of the Minnesota North Stars. Bowman chose to add eight additional players while Ruel picked only seven. There are no actual rules as to how many players could be added. The general guideline is you can dress as many players in an all-star game as you can in a regular game. And if you need to add extra players... You can do that as well. Should be an interesting game in St. Louis. They're hoping for a record crowd in the NHL expansion city. Some player movement news for this week. Uh, the Los Angeles Kings have lost high-scoring center Eddie the Jet Joyal for three or four weeks due to a cracked heel bone. Now, the Kings called up the truculent Dennis Hextall from their American Hockey League Springfield Club. The Oakland Seals sent forward Brian Perry to Providence of the American Hockey League for two weeks to, quote, find himself. Perry's play has been indifferent, and he's not a guy who's a star. He's a fringe player who's got to work every second of every game to maintain his position in the NHL. So his lack of fire has really confused Coach Freddie Glover. The Seals also announced that forward Bobby Dillabo is going to be out of the lineup for a week or two with a groin injury, but no uh, place uh, replacement call-up has been announced. The Detroit Red Wings have called up hulking defenseman Joe Watson. He's a big one from the American Hockey League Cleveland Barons. And they sent defenseman Paul Popeil to the AHL team to take his place. And the St. Louis Blues have called up left winger Wayne Mackey from American, American Hockey League Buffalo Bisons. Wayne had 11 goals. 
15 assists for 26 points in 29 games with the Bisons this season. Of course, you'll remember Wayne had that vicious stick-swinging duel with Ted Green back during uh, the exhibition preseason uh, with Ted Green of the Boston Bruins, and that has resulted in Green sustaining a fractured skull, both players being charged with assault, causing bodily harm, and a trial which will start in just a few weeks in Ottawa. Interesting news here from uh, the sporting circles in Toronto. Bill Waters is a teacher at the North Toronto Collegiate, well-known in sporting circles around metropolitan Toronto, and he has resigned his teaching position to take on the role of full-time director of the Bobby Orr Mike Walton Sports Camp in Orillia, Ontario. Uh, The sports camp has started off with rather modest means, but Waters has been working with Orr and Walton over the past couple of years, and this place looks like it's going to take off. It could become the premium sports camp in all of Canada. Waters uh, seems to be a very interesting individual. Many people feel he's a bit of a blowhard. A lot of people feel he's got a, a, a future, maybe even in management in hockey or possibly as an agent. I wonder if Alan Eagleson is uh, in favor of Waters working with his two high-profile clients, Bobby Orr and Mike Walton. Uh, nice news for Charlie Burns of the Minnesota North Stars. A few weeks ago, he was named coach for an undetermined period as sort of a trial basis. Well, Ren Blair, the North Stars GM, says Charlie will become the permanent coach of the team. But you got to think, how permanent can that be in the NHL, the way things have been the last uh, year or two? Uh, Burns will be there for at least till the end of this season, probably next season. I would say Charlie passed the trial period, but we haven't, they haven't said how long his contract will be for. And in fact, we don't even know if Charlie signed a contract. This will have a little bit, uh, we'll see how this goes with Charlie. He's a good guy and hopefully he'll do well with the North Stars. Montreal Canadiens still have a couple of unhappy campers in their midst and something's going to have to be done to resolve these situations. In addition to goalie Gump Worsley, who still says he's retired, veteran left winger Dick Duff, who had said he retired, now says he's going to return to the team. But it's known that Dick and coach Claude Ruel Definitely do not see eye to eye. And where have we had that, heard that before with this coach? Lucien Grenier, he's only 23. He was called up from the American Hockey League Voyageurs, but under the NHL AHL rules, the call up for some reason was not made under emergency conditions, even though the Habs had injured players. So if Grenier plays one more game for the Habs in the coming week, He'll have to go through waivers to go back to the AHL. It'll be interesting to see how general manager Sam Pollock handles this one. Grenier is thought to have a decent NHL future, and I'm sure the Habs do not want to lose him for the $30,000 waiver price. There are NHL expansion teams that could certainly use a player of Lucien Grenier's caliber. After missing uh, some time with a mystery illness last week, the Bruins say that this week, 
Derek Sanderson has been confined to a hospital bed and they've determined that the source of his discomfort is a severe inflammation of the left hip. Left hip. Now, the Turk said, I was all right. We're getting out of the hospital. Bobby Orr visited me on Sunday before the game. I told him I was feeling good. I was ready to release. And then, bang, I wake up the next day and I couldn't move my left leg. I couldn't walk. No word on how long Derek is going to be out of the Boston lineup. Johnny Bauer, who's played one game with the Maple Leafs, but for all intents and purposes, is probably retired by now at the age of 45, says that the day is not far off where NHL teams will employ specialty coaches, especially for goalkeepers. Now, I don't think Johnny is angling for future employment for himself after his playing careers. I think Johnny is a very astute guy, and he can see... Uh, where the game is going, it's becoming more complex as more teams become involved and uh, we learn more about the game. Uh, Johnny said, yes, I think the day isn't too far off when every National Hockey League team will be carrying a goaltender's coach. Even if he isn't an old goaltender, a coach puts a different set of eyes on your play and he can give you a lot of help that you won't see even in game films. The consensus first pick in the next spring's National Hockey League amateur draft is Gilbert Perrault, a Jean Beliveau-like center who was tearing up the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A Series with Montreal Junior Canadiens. Now, this will be the first draft where all graduating juniors are available to drafting teams before with NHL sponsorship. Not all players were there uh, even after 1967 when the, the league expanded. The first two picks of the draft are guaranteed to the new expansion teams in Buffalo and Vancouver. The order of selection will be determined by some sort of lottery, and knowing the superstitious Punch Imlac, he probably will have rabbit feet in every pocket and probably a lucky horseshoe tied around his neck. Now, Montreal Canadiens general manager Sam Pollock desperately wants to somehow retain Perot but he's not able to trade for either of the new team's draft picks because the NHL made rules this time to forbid them from trading the pick or the player they select for three years. Now, this rule was put in specifically to thwart Sam Pollock's ability to control the junior draft just as he controlled the NHL expansion draft. It must be remembered, though, that it was the NHL governors themselves who tasked Pollock with creating the, NH the NHL expansion draft rules in 1967 because they were too lazy to make up a full committee and do it themselves. However, this is a big however, there's still a way that Pollock could land Gilbert Perrault. He could do what he did with the first pick of the expansion draft. In that draft... He negotiated considerations with Minnesota North Stars general manager Ren Blair uh, that would arrange for Blair to bypass Claude LaRose of the Canadians, select Dave Ballone in return for future considerations, which turned out to be a few Montreal spare parts, none of which have seen much action with the North Stars. Now, this this would be a, a real uh, coup for uh, 
Pollock if he could do this, but he'd have to do the same with both Buffalo and Vancouver. And then he might be able to make a pick. You see, here's the trick uh, that would allow this to happen. Pollock owns Oakland's first round pick in the 1970 amateur draft as a result of another deal that they made three years ago, two years ago, I guess it was. So if the Oakland Seals, who currently have the second worst record in the National Hockey League, could somehow finish last behind the LA Kings, then Pollock could send a boatload of players to both Buffalo and Vancouver. They could ignore Perot and take maybe Reggie Leach out of uh, Western Canada or the Toronto Marlboros Dale Talon leaving Perot for the Montreal pick using Oakland's selection. Problem is the LA Kings are a lot worse than the Seals and they're probably going to finish last. You know who owns the LA pick? Yeah they traded it away too and it belongs to the Boston Bruins. Pollock can't risk Boston picking Perot before he gets them. So you know what could happen. Sam might just trade a player like Dick Duff to the LA Kings to bolster the Kings and help them get past Oakland. That would be something Sam Pollock would try to do. One more note this week, and this is in the trade rumor department. Rumors won't go away that the Bruins are close to acquiring defenseman Bill White from the LA Kings. This time there's no three-way deal with the Philadelphia Flyers. The Bruins would acquire uh, White in exchange for center Freddie Stanfield and rookie left winger Don Marcotte. Bruins GM Milt Schmidt admitted he has talked swap with the Kings GM Larry Regan. He Regan is itching to get something done in the coming weeks, but Schmidt could not, of course, because of tampering rules, admit any interest in Bill White. We'll see what happens there. Now it's time for this week's Personality of the Week. And this time around, we're featuring Boston Bruins right winger Johnny McKenzie, who's a real crowd favorite no matter where he plays. For the first time in his career, the man they call Pie has been named to an NHL All-Star team, specifically, as we mentioned, the Eastern Division second team. Johnny's well-deserving for his performance this year. He scored 15 goals, added 21 assists for 36 points so far this campaign, but it's his hustling, take-no-prisoners-in-your-face style of play that has won over fans and analysts alike. He's a perpetual motion machine out there, never stopping, never, ever taking a shift off. Now, John Albert McKenzie was born in High River, Alberta, December 12th, 1937, and he was raised nearby in the town of Nanton, Alberta. At 15 years old, he started playing junior hockey with the Calgary Buffaloes, and in his fifth season as a junior, after moving to the Ontario Hockey Association, he led the league in scoring with 99 points in just 52 games with the St. Catharines Teepees. He also accumulated an eye-opening 227 penalty minutes a game in just 52 games. 
Uh, McKenzie made his NHL debut with the Chicago Blackhawks early in the 58-59 season. That's the organization he grew up in and the Hawks owned his rights. No draft at that time. His line mate at that time was Bobby Hull, who was a goal-scoring sensation, but Johnny managed just three goals in 32 games and was sent back to the minor league Calgary Stampeders of the Western Hockey League. Johnny had uh, several nicknames over the years. I knew him in the original uh, times with Chicago and Detroit as Cowboy McKenzie, and that name he was uh, acquired for his rodeo exploits. In the off-season, Johnny participated in rodeos, notably in the Calgary Stampede, and of course his other nickname was Pie. Now here's a clip on John explaining how he acquired that nickname. When I was uh, in Buffalo, uh, there was a chocolate bar there called Pie Face. And one day we were walking down the street, another fellow, Jerry Melnick, as a matter of fact, his name was. And uh, he, there was this uh, rapper there and face with a face on it. And his name was Pie Face. And he said, Jesus, this guy even looks like you. And so I did a Google, yep. and I did, they do look like me. It's a, and it stuck. Yeah, but that was before I, we knew it was going to stick. And that's how John McKenzie got that famous nickname, Pie. Johnny was a real fan favorite, as we mentioned, had a great career after Boston. He went to the WHA and was a huge fan favorite and was instrumental in how that league even got off the ground with his exploits in uh, the livery of the Hartford back then, the New England Whalers. Sadly, we lost Johnny when he passed away in June of 2018 at the age of of 80. That's our hockey personality of the week this week, one of the great characters of all time, John McKenzie. So that's this week's episode, folks. Another busy week. What did we learn this week? It was a very educational week, actually. We learned the Toronto Maple Leafs in 1970 are not a very good hockey team. Improvement doesn't seem to be anywhere on the horizon either. Uh, it's going to take some hard work by a general manager, Jim Gregory, to rebuild the Maple Leaf franchise. We learned that the National Hockey League players support baseball player Kurt Flood's courageous stand against the reserve clause, but the powers that be in baseball and even some star players are dead set against any changes to the current system. And we learned that Punch Imlac is going to continue to be a thorn in the side of Maple Leafs owner Stafford Smythe, and he's not going to be far away in order to rankle Smythe's nerves from his new post as general manager coach of the Buffalo National Hockey League team. Andy Cole is the producer of the 50 Years Ago on Hockey podcast, and he does just a wonderful job. We couldn't do this without Andy. Our introductory music comes to us from the Rural Alberta Advantage, one of the top indie bands in Toronto, and other musical pieces are added by Andy Cole as well. Our stories are compiled with research done in the Toronto Star, the Toronto Globe and Mail, and of course, 
the many publications found at our sponsor, newspapers.com. You can find us on Twitter at at Hockey50Years and on Facebook under 50 Years Ago in Hockey and at the WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com. Another podcast you might find a lot of fun and interesting is a Let's Write a Song podcast by Andy Cole. Each week, Andy and a guest engage in great conversation and during their uh, session, uh, they write a completely new musical piece, which they perform at the end of the program. It's a unique and very fun project and I'm really enjoying it. From all of us here at the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast, thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next week for sure.